This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public. The list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward. Don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Welcome to Strictly Business, the podcast in which we talk with some of the brightest minds working in the media business today. I'm Andrew Wallenstein with Variety. When the new movie Ambulance opens in theaters this month, Hollywood will once again put to the test a kind of film that would seem to be an endangered species these days, the mid-budget movie. But my next guest is betting these movies will defy extinction. William Sherrick is one of the principals at Project X Entertainment, a production outfit that already scored a mid-budget hit this year with the revival of the Scream franchise. We'll talk to William in just a moment. Welcome back to Strictly Business, where we're talking with William Sherrick of Project X Entertainment. Uh, William, thanks for coming on the podcast. Uh, thanks for having me. First thing I got to ask, Project X, what, what's with the title? There's got to be a story behind that. Uh, myself, Jamie, and uh, my two partners, Jamie Vanderbilt and Paul Neinstein, when we were coming up with sort of the whiteboard of what we wanted the company to be and, and all of the things that we believed in as we looked at, you know, hopefully this being the last company we ever start and doing this till we retire, we we felt like we didn't have a company name, so we just put a code name at the top of every white piece of paper, and it was Project X. And then by the time the weekend was over of us all sitting down, putting down, you know, putting all our buzzwords and things we, you know, our mission statement, all that, we kind of fell in love with the the code word, and Got it, it stuck. And you've been out there for about a year now, and of course, Scream uh, is your first film, is it out uh, for Project X? It is. And obviously, or maybe not obviously, a success. Uh, I'm going to assume you weren't surprised. I'd like to know why you had faith in this franchise. So, you know, I think 
one, we're lovers of the franchise. So anytime you love something, you want to believe there's continued success possible with it. Um, and when we, when Gary Barber allowed us to, to get involved in rebuilding it for him, with him and for him, um, we just believe that audience after four movies, it's been a decade since the last one, uh, wanted, wanted something fun again. You know, I think post pandemic or middle of pandemic, the idea of fun horror is is something that we as a company love. We, you know, Jamie and I produced before Project X, we started Project X, we produced a movie called Ready or Not Together, um, which was a mashup of, you know, horror comedy. And Scream is the is the pinnacle of that, right? Something that you have so much fun, but still get scared to death. Um, so we never, never wavered on the idea that bringing it back was something that would be successful in at this moment in time. Well, speaking of scared to death, I'm curious, were you at all scared putting this movie out in theaters at a time when nothing is a sure bet? The answer is a qualified kind of, you know, I think that I, I'm a kid who grew up in the eighties and nineties and I grew up with a father in distribution and I believe in the theatrical experience. I always will till the day I die, regardless of what's going on in our industry. Um, so I'm always gonna bet on it. Does that mean every movie's right for it? No, um, but I believe that movies that you wanna see with other people will always work in, in the theatrical environment. And a horror movie is a movie you wanna see with other people. No question, but you know, I think the prevailing wisdom these days is, is if you're going to go in the theaters and you're not a Marvel movie, you've got your work cut out for you. And we've seen plenty of failures. And this whole notion of, let's call it, as we've been calling it, the mid-budget movie, which is, you know, somewhere between, you know, 10 and 50 or $60 million. It's not nearly as expensive as the big Marvel blockbusters. It's not, on the other end, sort of an art house Oscar kind of thing either. You're, you're really staking Project X on these kind of movies. Ambulance is another I, one of these kind of movies. Why? Because some, I, I'm almost wondering if people have come to you in this business and said, are you nuts? No, I, you know, I, I think I, I think I disagree with the premise that it can only be the big Marvel movies. Okay. Um, and don't get me wrong. I love them. I'm a fan. I've seen every single one of them, but I do believe that. And if you look at ambulance and scream they're the two common, the common theme between the two of them, even though they're different studios, both studios planted a flag and said, these will be theatrical movies. And I think what, what we've, forgotten and look it's hard coming out of a pandemic because it's easy to forget the you know a day feels like a year right but don't forget these marketing and distribution people are very good at what they do i mean very good and and the the teams at both universal and paramount that when they planted the flag and said these will be theatrical movies they turned on those machines and even though they are not the size of marvel movies when you see the campaigns behind both of them you feel like they are big, big events that you are supposed to go see in a movie theater. And I think that when you plant a flag and don't waver, these people are very good at what they do. And they are very good at telling an audience, this is something you should get out of your house to come see. So do you see 
a a real future for mid-budget movies. Let's just let's not even talk about streaming yet. Huh? Theatrical exclusive mid-budget movies you think can work in the indefinite future? With, without question. And I the only caveat I get it give it is that I do believe it is somewhat genre specific. Right. Okay. I think there are movies at mid budget that might not as we look to the future, um, depending on age, age breakdown and sort of what the audience may or may not be for that movie. Um, I think you can get stuck in no man's land, for lack of a better term. But in the right genre, regardless of budget, I do believe there's a theatrical marketplace for movies. OK, I agree with you to an extent. Mm -hmm. I when when you talk about Scream, for instance, I think fun horror movies are going to have a place in theaters for a long long time to come certainly mm -hmm. ip like scream that's already well known is going to have a big advantage but i have to be honest i'm a little skeptical about a movie like ambulance which let's let's explain it a little is sort of like a police chase movie uh -huh. that Honestly, you turn on Netflix these days, you see a lot of that. Some of it you even see with your star, Jake Gyllenhaal, right. who was in a Netflix movie of this type earlier this year. So how does the genre of the police chase work for mid-budget success? I think it's opportunity. I think it's if you had the opportunity to see the movies you're talking about streaming in a, in a massive platform and they put the campaign behind it to say you should go do this, and it's a filmmaker that resonates in terms of the look says, I should see this on a massive screen. Let's be clear, the 70 inch television or 85 inch television is amazing on your living room wall. It is not 45 feet wide. And there is something different when you take the guy who is arguably the best at doing this thing, right, Michael Bay, and you let him do it in Los Angeles in a car chase right, with things blowing up and fires and all of that stuff that, and I mean it, I don't think there's anybody better at better at it in our generation. I think that it, it is a different differentiator. I think if any of those other movies you're talking about planted a flag and said, we're gonna give you a window and a time to come see it and a campaign behind it that made it an event, I think they do have the opportunity to succeed. Do I think that at certain budget levels, as you kind of get higher and higher and higher, there probably is a danger zone, right? When you think about 100 million, 120, you know, where you go, what do I have to spend to release it versus what can I do theatrically? But when you're in the mid-budget mid range, your cash break number is such a lower number where success, I think we also have to redefine success, right? Success okay. no longer has to be $800 million at the box office with a mid-budget movie. Got you know, it. we're so used to seeing these, and I say so used, I don't want to take it for granted, but Marvel and DC and some of these animated movies have, have changed our expectations in 190 million opening weekend. And if you don't see that, you go, it's not a success. I, I, I would certainly agree with that. We're talking though about a director like Michael Bay. We're talking yeah. about a star like Jake Gyllenhaal. What do you think about the drawing power of those names here and your ability to generate success? Because certainly they're well-known quantities, but I, you know, they're not, I wouldn't say they're sort of A list, A plus list. Um, will they be enough to make the difference for you with this movie? I think so. I think that one, I think they are 
I think from a talent standpoint, they're absolutely a plus. I think that um, I wouldn't know how to define what you're, what I think you're trying to get to with the definition of that A plus actor. I would argue in today's world, Jake is without question. I think that, you know, what we've moved away from is that, you know, late 80s, early 90s, the poster is the movie star on the, uh, you know, and that it doesn't matter what the movie is, right? I, I remember, right, growing up, every Tom Hanks movie, it was like, didn't matter the, the, the thing that made him so special, you could put his face on a poster and you went, I'm, I like him, I'm going to see that. I think we sell movies differently today. So I think you don't have to look at it the same way. Understood. I, you know, I think it was it. I think I read that this movie cost fifty million dollars. Is that am I in the neighborhood? You're in the neighborhood. Okay. Um, Michael Bay is a guy who, you know, years back probably didn't roll out of bed for a movie below a hundred million. Was this something he was comfortable making at that price tag? Was that an adjustment to the Michael way, Michael Bay way of doing things? The opposite. This is that. This is the movie he wanted to make. He came at it the op exact opposite way, which is we should make this as a down and dirty movie in Los Angeles. And it, we shot it during the pandemic. He he saw that it could be done for a price. He he was the one who tackled it. He was the one who came up with how much we should shoot it for. Um, and he came in saying, I want to go back to that world where, you know, Mike, little micro days with action units and and not doing the giant thing. And. And I think that's what makes that's that's what makes this one special, you know. Is we, when you get when you do years of those massive massive movies, of which they are spectacles and amazing to watch. We forget the the that version of Michael Bay. You forget this version, which is arguably one of the best shoot action shooters to ever live. And you just you give him a camera and a car crash. And he will figure out how to do something cooler than you have seen. And that's not special effects. That's not, that is purely a man and his camera and what he's good at. And it's, it's like nobody else. So he's, if you have a filmmaker who wants to do it, it's amazing what you could accomplish. His track record certainly speaks for itself. I'm also curious to get your sense of in this very, different theatrical marketplace, this post-pandemic marketplace. Um, I'm curious about your take with regard to the shrinking window for these movies in the theater. The, the days of the 90-day are over. Now it's, depending on where you are, 45 or 30. Um, does that figure into your calculations of how to make movies work in theaters? No. Um, it doesn't. I think, I don't think you can, as a producer, I don't think you can outsmart or overthink the distribution platforms that exist. They're going to, they're going to do what's good for their businesses as they should. And as a producer, if you want to be in the theatrical business, you figure out the place that has the most inline interests with how you see the world. With Ambulance, Universal sees a theatrical window as valuable, and we love we love that. And then whatever the window is for them, you create the box that exists. And we went in with Michael wanting to do this size movie, and it fit in that box where we could be successful in a window. 
And, you know, it's not quite reverse engineering, but I think you have to, you have to understand the, the, what these businesses are going through and then create, you know, sort of the right environment to go be successful in that specific box. You know, I'm also curious about the appetite for mid-budget movies at the streaming services where you could have conceivably steered ambulance and perhaps will steer mm -hmm. other things. What is your sense of the marketplace there? Do you think you could end up doing more for streaming services than you necessarily would for theaters in the future? I, you know, it's funny. I don't look at the world that way. I look at the world at, from, our, from our perspective at Project X. We develop our proper our, our material in-house when we're ready to take it to the town. We decide, we try and decide what's right for that specific piece of content and then go try and get it done in that. We don't look at the world and say, everything has to be X or Y. Um, and I think the right way in today's marketplace is to have a good mix across the board. There are certain projects that should be streaming. For me, mid-budget things or high-budget things or low-budget things that will fit perfectly in a streaming platform. Um, and I think to be successful as a producer, independent or otherwise, it's always been a relationship business and it has to continue to be that, right? Because making movies is hard, so you might as well make movies with people you like. So relationships is a very important piece of our business. And I think you need to have projects everywhere in all kinds of mediums and, pla and distribution platforms to be successful. So we look at it and say, what's the right mix for us in any given year in terms of projects we have set up so that as things cycle through getting made, you have a good mix of streaming, of theatrical release. You know, those are, those are all good ways to keep a business healthy. We're talking with William Sherrick, and we'll be back with him in just a moment. And we're back with William Sherrick of Project X Entertainment, producer of films like Scream, the latest one, and the upcoming Ambulance. William, I want to talk more about Project X and what mm -hmm. you're doing there because, you know, you've got uh, off to a nice start this year. There's, I think, four movies or maybe three, and, and uh, you also have a, a limited series, is it? The Night Agent set up at Netflix as well. It's, it's a busy year. Busy year. Um, what is the next phase of growth for your company? Um, you know, we kind of look at it in different phases. I think phase one, because, you know, Jamie, Paul, and I, my two partners, um, have all been doing this for a pretty long time. It was proving to ourselves in the industry that, as a partnership, the three of us could be successful in sort of what you would call the traditional producing, you know, the traditional producing ways, developing material, getting it out in the marketplace, getting them made, having them be successful. I think year one and two proved that, you know, Scream came out, was, was successful. We're super excited. We, we're getting a sequel. We'll shoot this summer. Um, Ambulance, I could not be more proud of as well. You know, we put it together. It's a it's a great piece of material with an amazing filmmaker and stars and Universal is really happy and they've been an unbelievable partner. Our first TV show is a series at Netflix that Sean Ryan created with us um, based on a book we optioned called The Night Agent. And then we have a movie um, with STX that comes out in July called Bed Rest with the first time director, uh, writer, uh, writer director that we love, Lori Evans-Taylor. 
and we're super thrilled to prove that she can be a big director in the world. And so for us, that that's phase one, right? Proving to the world that this group of people together, even though individually we've all had, you know, a certain level of success and and getting things made and and things that people enjoyed as a group, we can do it. Phase two, because we want to stay independent, um, will be some version of building, buying, or raising a platform so that we don't need to go into a bigger infrastructure. Um, and for us, that is either raising a fund, um, buying a, a business that is currently its own platform, and then putting our talents on top of that as a management team. Uh, but at the end of the day, creating a cash flow, creating a business that has a big enough cash flow stream where we can stay independent and continue to um, to develop material, co-fi material, and you know, and and sort of uh, create our own destiny. Sounds audacious. I, I want to understand better though what you mean by uh, acquiring a platform. And I know I'm not asking you to sort of tip your hand yeah. for what you're going to do, but. Give me a better sense of what that means. Do you want to buy a Netflix or something? I mean, no, 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 no. I, for us, think much smaller, right? Okay. Like for us, it, it's, I want to, you know, there are, there are independent companies out there that have done a great job over the years of building a small library of content. Um, and as those cycle through the sales process, right? People retire, they want to sell their libraries. There's constantly small things out there that are available. And if you acquire them, you're building, you know, ongoing cash flow, which can, you know, build sort of prop up a business. I think, you know, one of the things that differentiates us is that separate of producing um, or with Jamie writing, directing, we have some more traditional business backgrounds. Um, you know, my partner, Paul Neinstein, ran business affairs at Paramount for 10 years, uh, then was the COO of Rat Pack and did all the slate financing deals. So he has that background. Um, I took a little bit of time off from producing about 11 years ago and created what became the largest 3D conversion company in the world and sold that to Ron Perlman's Deluxe and then became president of the creative group of Deluxe and did half a dozen M&A transactions in that world. And then during the pandemic, um, through Platinum Equity, bought back Deluxe, the post-production entity. So we have a ton of M&A background. Um, so it's sort of as opposed to just creative producing. So there's a there's a direct sort of link for us to go use those skill sets and turn Project X into more of a, as opposed to producer for hire and fee-based, more of a enterprise and growing enterprise value in a business. Well, it's certainly an interesting time to have that ambition because the, the marketplace out there for content companies right now is like nothing I've ever seen. I think froth, mm -hmm. frothy would be an understatement. Um, but I wonder if that represents a challenge because some of the price tags on some of these companies is they've been driven up quite high because of all the interest private equities out there hunting. Um, so what do you think of this marketplace? Does it help you or hurt you? I think it helps. There's so much money on the sidelines to put into it that, you know, look, for us, the checks we'd be looking at aren't checks we could afford. You're going to need to bring in a, a, a financial sponsor to help you do it. So all of the places you're talking about that have driven the pricing up, those would be our partners. So I'm, because we're also, we believe we're good at what we do um, and we want to keep doing it. We're not looking to retire. I think if we can take our ability to, um, to scale capacity 
in a, in a library that generates cash flow, regardless of price you pay, you can continue to grow the enterprise value. Okay. So I'm not worried. I'm not worried today, even if pricing is high, I don't think it drops in the next decade. 20 years from now, who knows, right? Like, let's be clear that, you know, there could be somebody working on a piece of technology that none of us have even thought of, but at least for the foreseeable future, the value of content is not going down. Okay. Pre-acquisition though, uh, you it seems like you're still partnering with studios, though yeah. you still have the ability to finance if you want to. And I'm, where where does that come from? Do you have backers and, and they're ready to uh, help fund a acquisition as well? Well, so the, from a development standpoint, self-funded. Um, from a production standpoint, you know, we're we're not in a place at the moment to fully co-fi, um, but we are in a place where, um, given the right financial, given the right financial, you know, sort of box any one movie is put in, if, if there is a way to be more financing, create a financing opportunity, that's what Paul does. So bed rest was a minimum guarantee from STX that we banked and we own. And so we did that, we did the movie, that movie that way. Um, so we have the ability to go get financing. Um, and because we know how to structure those deals, we have the ability to create that opportunity if it's the right project for us. Okay. I mean, it, it sounds like you've got ambitions to be what, what's known in the business as a, as a mini major, something that could stand side by side with some of the bigger studios, but you would be no small fry. That's the hope, right? I think you, you want to do that. You want to build a place where all of our friends and colleagues that we've had so much fun working with over the years can come and create. Um, that's the goal, right? Is to, to give all of our content creating friends, right? The, the true creatives, just another place to develop that they're excited to work with and, and that we can scale a, a business that content creators enjoy working with and then be nimble. The thing we don't want to do is get so big where you can't be nimble. We want to stay in the world where we are always independent. So our nimbleness allows us then to sell to any distributor. We should make clear, you're not just in the movie business. We talked about the night agent. I think you also have an animated show set up at Fox yes. uh, based on the Bloom County comic strip. Yes. Isn't TV really sort of the, the better market right now than compared to film anyway? You know, I don't know. I think that, I guess I don't look at the world that way. I look at the world that you want to have a great mix. You want to, you want to be creating content for all the different mediums of distribution. Um, whether that be, you know, limited series, animation, normal series, network series, film, whether it be theatrical or streaming. I think we want to create a world, an environment at Project X where we have proven ourselves in each of the mediums. So when we have a project that's right for any one of them, we can go get it done. That's how we look at the world. I don't think it's a one's better than the other. We look at it as we, we as a group of partners love consuming all of it. So what's the right story to tell in what medium is sort of the way we look at it and we go from there. You know, Bloom County, I mentioned, and there's mm -hmm. other things on your development slate, be it film or TV, that are kind of like Scream, you know, old franchises that you might be looking to revive or reboot. I'm curious whether it's Scream or, or anything else, how do you figure out what intellectual property out there 
could resonate again? How do, I mean, I know you talk about a good story and having fun with people you want to partner with, but how, how do you know what IP has a sort of a, a reservoir of goodwill out in the audience worth tapping? Um, I think you pretend you're smart and hope you're lucky, right? I think, look, I think it's all gut and you're either going to be right or wrong. Um, but, you know, we have a saying at Project X, not everybody has to like it, but somebody here has to love it. And as long as somebody loves it, we can all get behind it. Because I think the passion of liking, of loving it comes through in the creation of it. We all love the Scream franchise. We love it, right? We love the original. We loved all of the three others um, that followed. And I think the fun of this new one comes through in our love of everything Wes Craven and Kevin Williamson did. Opus and Bloom County, another one, what Berkeley created, that comic strip is second to none, right? He won a Pulitzer Prize for it. I think getting to revive, although not revives unfair, he's been doing the comic strips recently. Um, so it's not a revival as much as it is, let's turn it into a visual medium, a, a, a moving image medium, not just a comic strip. Um, we think we're going to be right. Like we look at what Berkeley's done and he's going to be the North star of this show and create it. Um, we think as an animated show, it can live forever. Um, and we're excited about it, but I don't think you can ever pretend you truly know. We just, we love what we love and we're going to get behind that and work as hard as we can to make it successful. And then once it's out there, the audience is going to tell you if you were right or not. And I assume that's a project for uh, beyond 20. 22. Uh, what does the post 2022 slate look like right now? What could we see the year after? Do you have you guys sort of mapped that far ahead yet in terms of what's going to come out? Um, yeah, we have a we have, you know, a handful of TV things and a handful of feature things that we're getting ready to take to market. Um, obviously, screen the next screen, which we're very excited about. Um, we start shooting in June. So, you know, it's 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 a combination of feature and television. And, and as we go to market with stuff, you know, we've, we've had a pretty good conversion rate of getting stuff made. And the hope is we stick in that same world. Um, but we try and go to market with stuff that's a little more ready to go as opposed to being in development for a long time. So we kind of hold stuff in house longer in hopes that when we do go out with it, it's sort of, let's go make this. Well, I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, what the world holds for you and Project X, uh, not just for Ambulance in the coming weeks, but uh, in the years ahead, you've got quite an ambitious uh, agenda ahead of the company, and, and I wish you the best with it. Thank you so much, and thanks for uh, allowing me to be on this. It was a ton of fun, and uh, look forward to hearing what comes next for you. This has been another episode of Strictly Business. Tune in next week for another helping of scintillating conversation with media movers and shakers. And please make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear future episodes. Also, leave a review in Apple Podcasts and let us know how we're doing. Yeah.